The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Dennis Johnson. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. We're reflecting on many of our Tuesdays this semester on the I am statements of Jesus, especially the I am statements that have a predicate nominative. I am the bread of life. Today I am the light of the world. And on the future, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection, the life, and so on. Our text today is from John, John's Gospel. Um, We're actually going to begin to read at chapter 7, verse 37 through 52 and then to chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, as you see in probably pretty much all of the Bibles that there you, you're there you, you are using, uh, 753 to 811 is not in the oldest, most reliable manuscripts. And you will hear how if we don't insert that, if we take it with the oldest manuscripts, how 812 follows so beautifully from the discussion on the last, was part, I believe, the discussion of the last great day of the Feast of Booths. So hear God's word, chapter seven, verse 37, and then on into a bit of what we now call eight. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know, that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, does not our law judge a man, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is God's word. Let's ask him to open our hearts to this light. Father, we ask you that in these few moments of meditation and reflection, Jesus, the light of the world, will shine his light of life into our hearts, into our minds, in a fresh way. Help us to appreciate how much we need your light, uh, not only to show us 
how to walk and how to live, but really to display to us who we are and to display to us who you are and to display the glory of your grace to us in Christ. So, Father, teach us, open our eyes to see, remove our blindness or dullness of sight, and help us to glorify the Lord Jesus, whose glory shines from your scriptures. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, last time we heard that when Jesus multiplied a few loaves, little buns, pita bread, whatever, and uh, fish to feed thousands and thousands, people were reminded of the manna in the wilderness and thought of Moses and thought of bread from heaven. And Jesus clarified for them that he himself is the true bread from heaven. In fact, that his flesh and his blood are that food that nourishes us, that gives us life, that brings us to the Father. Now we're in another feast. It's the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, Sukkah. Uh, the feast uh, we read in chapter 7, verse 2. This is the feast that is kind of the Jewish family camp week, where everybody moves out of their nice solid uh, wall homes uh, out onto uh, kind of leafy lean-tos. Uh, and, uh, and they kind of remember and rehearse Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, uh, that wandering time before, between Egypt and Canaan, uh, when a whole generation who didn't believe God's promises died. But they also remembered primarily, when they observed booths, the provision of God, his provision of water in the dry desert, water from the rock, and uh, actually the last great day of feast was the climax of a whole series of days uh, of that week in which they would have a water pouring ceremony. Would water would be taken from the pool of Siloam and carried up a ramp to two great silver, vessel, uh, silver bowls on the high place, some high place in the temple. This is all described in Mishnah Sukkah, section five. You want to look that up later. It's, it's, it's all right there. And the water is poured down. Remember, water from the rock. And in the midst of all of that, there is this beautiful beautiful comment uh, by, uh, by the, uh, the rabbis saying, if, if you've never seen the celebration of the Feast of Booths, you've never seen rejoicing. It's, it's the ultimate. It's, it's like Philadelphia after the Super Bowl, but without the property damage and beyond. It's that kind of rejoicing. The rejoicing of the water, and then on the last day of the feast, the rejoicing of the lights, uh, when uh, Huge candlesticks. Uh, the, the Mishnah describes them as you, can't, you had to get, use ladders and, and young priests to get up to the top to light the wicks. And, uh, and then processional, uh, uh, processionals of uh, priests and wonder workers, so the Mishnah says, uh, carrying torches through the city such that there was no courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit by the light that emanated from the temple. It was like a replay of the pillar of cloud and fire that gave light to the camp of Israel. The whole camp of Israel in the wilderness. Water, light, these things that we need. And Israel remembered those things. They remembered how God had provided for them in those years. Exodus 13, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. 
pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. And later in the Old Testament, Psalm 78 speaks of the Exodus. He divided the sea and let them pass through it, made the waters stand like a heap, and then God's provision for them in the desert. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness. He gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Light and water, light and water. And Israel celebrated that at the Feast of Booths year by year. Pious men and wonder workers dancing through the streets with torches in their hands, light and water. Prophet Zechariah foretold the coming Feast of Booths that would outstrip the greatest of Israel's celebrations. Zechariah 14, the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And on that day, it's going to be a unique day. It's going to be a one-of-a-kind day known only to the Lord because it's neither day nor night. At evening, there's still going to be light. And on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half to the western sea. And now Jesus, on this great day of the feast, where people have been marveling at the water that reminded them of God's provision, God's provision of water in a dry desert, and of light in a dark desert, Jesus says the day the Zechariah prophesied has arrived. I am the source of living waters. In fact, it's not water simply that quenches physical thirst. I will give my Holy Spirit. You can hear the day of Pentecost previewed here at the end of chapter 7, 737 to 39. The day of Pentecost is coming when Jesus is glorified and he celebrates his coronation at the Father's right hand by pouring out the Spirit in power, in might, to quench our thirst. And he's the light. He's the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And you notice, I didn't read it, but if you glanced ahead even just to 813, Jesus immediate gets, immediately gets pushback from the authorities. You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, I didn't read it because you'd already heard their voice at the end of chapter 7. You've heard the confusion of the crowds. He's the prophet, like Moses. Bread in the wilderness, chapter 6. Water and light. He's the prophet. And others say he's the Messiah. But of course, he couldn't be the Messiah because he comes from up north, from Galilee, not from down south, Bethlehem, where David was. And he's got to be a son of David. And then you heard the cynical response of the leaders of Israel to one of their own, to Nicodemus, who had had the conversation with Jesus back in chapter 3, when he said, let's at least give him a fair trial. And of course, their mockery was, oh, you're from Galilee too? There's no prophet that's going to come out of Galilee. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Makes you wonder if those biblical scholars really knew their Bibles all that well. Because there is a very striking prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. You've heard it often, especially around Christmas time, that talks about light coming to the darkness of Galilee, of those northern tribes, Zebulun, Naphtali, the people who walked in darkness, 
but now have seen a great light in Galilee of the Gentiles, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness. On them light has shone. The light's coming to Galilee. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and he will roll, rule on the throne of his father David forever. Messiah comes like light from Galilee. Yes, born in Bethlehem, unquestionably true. Matthew points that out to us. But coming as light into the north in Galilee and coming from the north now here, Jesus comes as light and as the source of living water. That twofold claim, one is an I am statement, the other is simply that promise, I will make people who love me, who trust me, who belong to me, flow like streams of water as I, as I provided Israel water. Jesus is saying, I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel who quenched their thirst in the dry desert and who lit their way in the dark desert. So what does this mean for us? Well, very briefly, John gives us, unpacks for us what it means for us. First of all, he says in 8.12, if we follow him, we will not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. So on the one hand, he's emphasizing the good things that the light of Christ, following him, trusting him, living by his word, do, do for us. They, they, light protects, protects us from stumbling, protects us from ambush, protects us from misdirection. Later on in chapter 11, Jesus is going to say, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. We need light to be able to travel safely and not stub our toe or stumble or fall and fall flat on our face. Some of you are wondering, what's to become of me after graduation? Good question. We don't know yet. You may not know yet. You feel like you're walking kind of in darkness. I mean, you are where the Lord calls you to be right now, but what's next? We often don't know. Jesus says, trust me, I'll lead you. You can walk in my light, it protects. Jesus says in chapter 12, the light is among you, to his, his listeners there, for just a little while longer, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. There's something hostile about darkness. There's something threatening about darkness. There's something malevolent about darkness. There are dangers in the shadows. Stay in the light. And the one who walks in darkness, Jesus says, does not know where he's going. If you just blunder through life by your own lights, <laughs> which don't deserve to be called lights, our own lights, they're not light. Who knows where you're going to end up? Follow Jesus, the light of life. In the next chapter, Jesus is going to see a man who can't see. And he stops. And he repeats his claim. Chapter 9, verse 5. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he restores that man to sight. That whole next chapter also is a commentary on this. We can't go there in the time we have. But uh, this man's world of darkness is suddenly changed into a world of light and color. And meanwhile, the authorities who say, now you look, you'll find no Messiah, no prophet coming from Galilee, Isaiah 9 notwithstanding, 
They're the ones who claim to see, but they're in darkness, they're in blindness. Why would anybody not come to Jesus' light? Why would anybody not want to follow him, not want to be in his presence? Well, because his light not only protects, it also exposes. And that's not always comfortable. John has commented already, he's kind of leading us up to, I am the light of the world. He's commented already in chapter 9, this is the judgment that has come on the world. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their, de- their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Follow Jesus in his light. All your shameful, guilty secrets have to come out into the light and be dealt with. I hope you've never had the experience that I've had, not recently, mercifully, when you go into the garage and you flip on the light and you see the cockroaches, one or two or three, not many, unless you get them scurrying for the darkness. They hate the light. You're cockroaches by nature, me too. We hate the light, unless, unless Christ's mercy comes, unless the light that exposes us also gives us life. Because as Jesus says here in 8.12, those who follow me don't walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And by that he means more than just light for living, good guidance, good coaching, good advice. He doesn't mean simply that. He means you have the light that makes you alive. John was preparing us for this announcement all the way in the beginning at the prologue when he says about the word who was with God and was God and created all things, in him was life and the life was the light of humanity and the light shines into the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it, can't resist it. His divine life gives light, and his divine light gives life. He makes us alive. He doesn't just expose us to shame us. He exposes us to bring us into the life of reconciled relationship with himself. Scholars fuss over one of Paul's statements in Ephesians 5.14, where Paul says, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Some say, what is the it that says that? Some early Christian hymn or creed? But I know, because I read the right commentary, more likely what Paul is doing there is he's conflating some beautiful some beautiful announcements in Isaiah about God shining as light and and raising his people from the dead. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the point that Jesus is making when he identifies himself as the light of the world. He shines on those who trust him and follow him, and he makes us alive. He raises us from the dead so that we walk in the light of life. He's the Lord himself. He can be followed. He will bring light into your life and will bring life through that light. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.
We thank you for sending your beloved son, the one who quenched Israel's physical thirst in the desert, the one who uh, illumined their camp in the midst of the threatening pitch blackness of the wilderness. Thank you that Jesus has come to quench our spiritual thirst and to be the light of the world, even as your presence was displayed over Israel's camp in that 40 years of dangerous wandering in deep darkness. So your presence is now made real because your son has come to us, has taken flesh and dwelt among us, and his light still shines through the gospel, even as the life, as the, the thirst quenching life of his spirit is poured out into our hearts. Father, teach us to long for, to stay close to, to lean on, to follow, to drink from the fullness of your grace in your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2016. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.